0: I said to several people, that's when I oh, was the, the topic of the talk, and I said, Forgiveness, to they went, oh, that's hard. This is like the last couple of days. And each time I come away, I say, oh, It's about forgiveness, and they like, That's really hard. they like, Yeah, I think you're probably right. So, um, yeah, let's do it. This talk's about forgiveness. And it's in Matthew 18, not Matthew 19. Matthew 18, not Matthew 19. Let's pray. Father, uh, the topic of forgiveness is, is uh, well, I of not really found the cross because you forgave us, but in our day-to-day lives, for some of us especially, it's very hard to know what forgiveness really means and what it's going to look like for us. So we pray that you will work in our lives, your spirit will work in each one of our lives to work out what these words from Jesus mean for us. I we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want to say about forgiveness is that it really is counterintuitive. That's to write down, and i be writing notes. Yeah. Forgiveness really is counterintuitive. It goes against the grain in every way. Here's my thought when a brother or a sister does something wrong to you, then that hand you a white. Right. They hand your weight to carry something that you have to bear, and depending on how big the wrong is, will depend on how heavy the weight is that you have to bear. And it's sometimes, as some of you will know, it's sometimes really painful. Now, either what's intuitive is to simply resent that what right, that come to you. What counterintuitive? but I think that, as on the lips of Jesus, is to simply forgive. Uh, What's intuitive in terms of the right is to hand the right back. In fact, to hand it back larger than it was given to you. To throw it back to them. Because that's what revenge is, isn't it? What's counterintuitive is is to actually bear the burden and forgive from the heart, which is something that Jesus says at the end of our passage. And we're going to explore that today. That's the plan. Okay, the year is 1979. It's the International Year of the Child. Uh, A 15-year-old girl called Chantal Dupont and her friend Maurice Marcel were on their way home, crossing the jacques Cartier Bridge in Montreal, Canada. And the guy and the girl, the young guy and the young girl, were abducted by two men who were aged twenty-five, and despite their attempts to free themselves, they were murdered, thrown off the bridge. And when the news of the crime hit the nation, the nation stopped in shock. Of course. What turned out to be even more shocking uh, was that Chantal's parents chose to forgive the murderers their crime, and didn't reconcile with one of them? And the journalists who were covering the story were in uproar that the murderers did not deserve the forgiveness. The crime itself is unforgivable. And a documentary was made about it called Le Pardon, it's French, I believe, forgiveness. And it was aired on SBS uh, a number of years ago. Now, here's what I found interesting. Forgiveness was the topic of the documentary, not the crime, which would normally be the case. The documentary is a surprising uh, testimony to how trusting Jesus could change your life. It's also a disturbing reflection on the human condition. And I, I, I don't see myself as given to crime, particularly, but I've watched it three or four times and I, the, I just, the tears rolled down my face at the last scene which I'll tell you about at the end of this talk. I'd actually love to be able to show you a section of it but the audio-visual doesn't allow us to do that but instead I've thought about how to tell you how the story ends, how this particular girl's parents choose to express forgiveness and I think when you see it in such an extreme sense Perhaps we might get a a kind of picture about what forgiveness and reconciliation might look like. Today we're talking about forgiveness. And I want to say forgiveness is as earthy and as real as Christ on the cross doesn't get more earthy and real than that. But it's as mysterious and difficult as human relationships always are. And that's why it's not easy to address the topic in 35 or 40 minutes but I find it interesting that Jesus addresses it in four minutes. Because that's how long it takes to read this parable. So we're going to look at his four minutes and then going to explore a few things in our conclusion as well. We're in the middle of a series called Parables of Shock and Battering and Firing the Imagination. All the parables we looked at last week, if you we were here, were not shocking in themselves. In fact, they're quite simple stories. The shock, I guess, to the original here is that they did not expect the Jewish Messiah to speak in such mundane terms about farming, about a woman hiding a yinx in the dough, about um, a merchant going to look for pearls, about the seed that quite small to grow up really large. They didn't expect the Jewish Messiah to do that. They expected the Jewish Messiah to usher in, to give up the word, to pick up the sword, usher in the kingdom of God. But when the crowd gathered, all of was talk. About the kingdom, and I think that's a shock. And the shock for us, as you were here last week, is for the, for the reader of the gospel, or for the hearer of it as it's read out, is that we're divided on the parables, depending on whether or not we think there's something worth it there that I'm going to go on to Jesus and listen to, or whether we say this is a bunch of hick stories on the lips of a carpenter. That's a good one, but a carpenter nonetheless. But today, the power of the self is shocking. And I believe it's because every... I I'll have just think about whether or not I can say this with such totality, but I think I can. Every act of forgiveness is a shock in some way. Simple, maybe, but shocking. Unless it's over spilt milk. In which case, it's not forgiveness. all you're really saying is, I don't mind. Oh yeah, forget it. I'll forgive you. When you're not saying, I don't mind, you're saying, I do not. And if you forgive that, itself is a scandal. I call it a miracle. Uh, I spoke about this to my wife, and she said, um, It's like reversing the laws of physics. Or oh, I read in um, Philip Yancey's book, It's like bad mathematics. I guess it's the only way to describe it, it's as counterintuitive because when we're wrong we come up with a stack of reasons to fight forgiveness rather than surrender to it. We say, he needs to learn a lesson. Or, I can't encourage behaviour like that. Or, I'll let her stew for a while. Or, she needs to learn that her actions have consequences. Or, I'm the wrong party, why should I be the first one to make a move? Or, how can I forgive him if he's not sorry? Why can I forgive it all? Why is that an even category that I should even have to deal with? Why don't I just bury myself down in my work and forget what wrong has been given to me? But instead of saying that, to forgive somebody is to say in one way or another, this is a quote from an author, but I think it seems to me that I couldn't put it in better words in any way. So here it is. To forgive someone is to say, one way or another, what you have done to me is unspeakable and by all rights I should call it quit between us. Both my pride and my principles demand no less. However, although I make no promise that we will not both bear scars and maybe even for life, However, I refuse to let that stand between us. I still want you as a friend. I release you of the anger I have for you. The most common Greek word for forgiveness literally means to release or to free somebody from prison. You put them in a prison, Bob. Well, that's done the wrong to you. You put them in prison for it. To forgive is to actually open the prison door. That's forgiveness. And it's not saying, I don't care, on the contrary, you really do care, but instead of insisting the pain on that other person in some way, punishment, instead of that, in some way, you bear up the pain in yourself. So, question, how, does it, how do you do it? You know, how does a person keep doing it? That's not a dangerous topic, because the degrees in which we need to forgive are enormously varied. And I really am aware of that. I'll come to that at the end of this talk. How does a person live how long? you know, forgive Well, that's, I think, exactly the situation that we find ourselves in as we each drop into Jesus' conversation with his disciples. How, how often do you have to do it, says Peter? Because in the section just before our passage, and if you've got a Bible open, that's really good. You can share the love. You don't. You've got two Bibles next to each That's what we do in the Thursday of the meeting, we share the love. We hand Bibles around because you've got two and you can look on with somebody else and somebody else can see yours. Okay, hand up if you'd like to again share your Bible with somebody. Put a hand up if you've got a Bible to share and put two hands up if, you've got, if you'd like to share a Bible. Love to see a Bible? Jared O'Brien would love to see a Bible. There you go. You've got to go and share. Oh. You're afraid of uh, being known yeah, well, now, <laughs> Okay, anybody want to Bible? Okay, Matthew 18, here we go. Just before our passage in verse 21, just before our passage, Jesus outlining the process for repairing broken relationships among brothers and sisters. And no sooner had Jesus outlined this process than Peter, one of the spokesmen of the disciples, stepped forward for his point of and he says, basically, in verse 21, what well it says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? I guess what he's saying is, I hear what you've been saying about seeking restoration Jesus, but supposing I'm the victim. And if somebody else has said, how often should I extend forgiveness? Peter is asking what the statute of limitations is on sin. Because I guess he's thinking, given human nature the sin-forgiveness dynamic could go on endlessly. So how many times does a follower of Jesus Christ have to get on the forgiveness treadmill? As much as seven times is Peter's asked, no doubt thinking this is a generous number. Uh, Peter's not plucking this idea out of the air, by the way. The rabbi, he might have heard it from the rabbis, a recorded rabbi in the second century said, if a brother sins against you once, forgive him. If twice, forgive him. A third time, forgive him. But a fourth time, do not forgive him. And that second sentence, but maybe Peter heard discussions like that, so he's pretty with himself about the number seven. And then G- Jesus really shocks him, with, or shocks them all with one sentence in verse 22. I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Or perhaps seven times 70, 490 times. Either way, the number's huge. Um, 70 times 7 is, or 77 times, is typical of Jesus' teaching, really. What he's really saying is don't even think about counting. And by the time you get to that amount, you're not, you're not even counting anymore. I guess Jesus is shocking them with this one main point that calculating the limit of forgiveness is out of bounds. Calculating the limit of forgiveness is out of bounds. What if you've received forgiveness that is uncalculably good? I struggled with this yesterday. I'll say it again. Calculating the limits of forgiveness is out of bounds, not if you've received forgiveness that is uncalculably great. Uh, If you don't want to forgive others, then then I guess the challenge of Jesus in this verse is perhaps you've missed the whole point about the kingdom. Which is why Jesus doesn't rip-roaring town about the kingdom. (laughs) Um, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like, And what it says, it's, like a, a, it's about forgiveness, really. And it's a rib roaring tale involving circumstances so exaggerated that surely his listeners found it, on some level, amusing. Not like barrel of laughs, but a chuckle of laugh. Um One writer I've said said that uh, parables have a sad fun about them. And the first part of the parable has this, the fun bit about it. And there's two points in your outline: forgiveness given and forgiveness forgotten. Because the fun begins in one of them. The opening scene when a king, suddenly as a country, as slave, discovers one slave on his books with a debt of ten thousand talents. See that in verse 24. Now the slave, of course, is not a high-powered earner. Even a slave that belongs to a king, and a single talent is worth about fifteen years' wages, perhaps. No one knows exactly, but a lot. So here in 10,000 dollars, we have what one might call an outlandish debt. <laughs> uh, several writers I've read said it, it, it's a national debt. It's a debt that belongs to our country. Past a country. Perhaps a Brazilian dollars. <laughs> and every commentary I read said that we're talking about the kind of sum that an Egyptian pharaoh could muster up. So the hero's are going... And this belongs to a slave? It's hard to know who was more stupid the slave for getting himself into this kind of debt, or the king for extending this line of credit to a slave. The king, realizing that the pat- repayment is out of the question, attempts less cutting off, so to cutting his losses, so the slash. I guess the second laugh, of the sad, or the fun part, comes when the slave falls down his knees and says something preposterous. Um, where is it? It's verse 26. Have patience with me and I'll pay you back everything. Yeah, right. I wonder if the king is amused because he made this ridiculous request with an even more preposterous response. He forgives. He forgives the debt. Every last penny. Let the slave go. No threats, no recriminations, no hanging back away. weight. Just taking the weight away. Just extravagant forgiveness, pure and free. And when you hear this story, you know, you kind of interesting story, really. But then after you, you think about the interesting of the interestingness of it, The penny drops for you. Because you are the slave. I'm the slave in the story. And God is the king and my debt to him is significantly bigger than you realize. Like really bigger. Like really, really bigger. Like if you knew how big it was, it would freak you out. Morally, our debt thing is a bazillion dollars. The kind of debt that if you could see it online, you know, you go online with a bank account and you're not sure how much debt you are, and you go on and you just go, whoa! Well, it's the kind of thing where you see it from God's perspective, could on it, had a look, and you suddenly discovered it, uh, you go hot and fear would rise to your eyes. But God, uh, seems counterintuitive to us because he forgives. It's part of what the gospel is actually about. He carries the burden himself. That's what the cross of Jesus is all about. Forgiveness has been given by God to you. But how quickly is it forgotten Because in verse 28 the story turns dark. Um, The same slave on his way out the door, the words of the king's forgiveness are still ringing around the marble chamber they're still they're still there in his eardrops and he runs across the second slave who has chance of habit owes his debt to the first one this time a hundred denarii you can see that in verse 28 six months work. About one half a million times less than the first ten. And this guy's Homer Simpson with Bart, right? He grabs the guy around the neck. <laughs> right, you little, pay me back everything that you owe, He snarls. That's in verse 28. The second slave in verse 29 pleads for patience. Uh, using basically the same desperate speech employed by the first slave be patient and I'll pay you back everything this time by the way it's possible and the first slave thought about this for a moment he thought to himself you know what I have been forgiven and how could I hold this against this person I can't do that and so I'm not not going to do that. Okay, that's what you want to happen, right? That's what you want to happen. But what actually happens, in verse 30, well, it's three simple words to the reader of the Gospel, but that first slave refused. But he refused. That is, he forgot forgiveness. Now you can imagine... The reaction, as Jesus told the story, was provoked from the crowd. People are shocked, you know. How, how could this slave be so ungracious? Um, how could this miserable creep come rolling off the king's highway of forgiveness? fresh from being forgiven the equivalent of a national debt, not this little guy off the highway of mercy. So there's, there's once some satisfaction to the hearers at the end in verses 32 to 34, when the other slaves realise what's happened, they tell the king about the slave's selfish reaction. And the king is angered by this. He puts him, puts the wicked, harsh word, and fends the slave into the torture chamber. And the hearers think good, or is it? Because then Jesus suddenly turns the parable on his. Disciples were on the people who are hearing this. And then on us as well in verse 35 and says, This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. See, they're dangerous words, aren't they, in verse <laughs> Yet we still hold each other accountable to our strict accounting, treating them on the basis of what we think they deserve or on their merit, while forgetting that we ourselves have received an ocean of grace Our death has been counselled by the mercy of God and the death of Jesus Christ, but it's possible to be as thankless as this, this slave. I guess forgetting is a, is a massive act of thoughtlessness, a, a momentary lapse of reason, One writer I read said this. He said, "We know all too well that the little boat in which we are sailing is floating on a deep sea of grace, and that forgiveness is not to be dispensed with an eyedropper, but with a hose. No, a fire hose." Okay, let's conclude. The pardon, forgiveness. Let's explore. Now forgive of course it's difficult, right? And I can I can hear my own response. I can hear yours maybe your response. The response is uh, yes, but but oh, geez, I think this might say, but what? But what? Okay, there are some really difficult situations in forgiveness, but there are, from this form in a parable, maybe three minutes, some concrete things to say. We need four points on your outline if you take notes. What we can say, number one, typical of Jesus, he cuts through all the complexity to say something simple. Forget all principle He cuts through all of the complexity to say something very simple. You've been forgiven, you do the same. It's such a brilliant teaching device to education students. Because all the exceptions and the buts come up. But Jesus knows how to cut through those things to say, look, do it. Uh, and of course, God knows how hard it is to forgive. Of course, Jesus' simple story isn't denying that. You think that a bazillion dollars is easy to forgive? When Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane says, God take this cup from me, do you think he's saying that forgiveness for humanity is easy? No. I mean you only need to read, I think, Hosea chapter eleven. Hosea chapter eleven. If you want to see how hard it is for God to forgive, because in that chapter you go into the skin of God. I can put it this way. You hear his words and you look, look around for a moment and you see God it. So, how can I give you up, Israel? How can I hand you over? I want to, but I can't. And in Hosea 11, it says, My heart is changed or churning up. My heart is a war zone within me. But I will release Israel of the anger that I have for her. Hosea 11. I and Jesus cut through the complexity to get to the principle. Ephesians 3, forgive us the Lord forgave you. Romans 15, accept, welcome, embrace one another just as Christ accepted you. So simple, isn't it? The same idea, by the way, in Matthew 5, where Jesus says, you've got something against a your brother, you're going to give your gift to the temple, you leave your gift at the altar, you go and make up with your brother or sister, and then you come back. Now when I read that story, Michael says, What happens to the gift? You've left the gift there. So presumably you can go and make up in the time it takes for the gift not to be taken in some way. Leave the gift, make up, come back. See how simple Jesus, Jesus is on many levels. I guess what he's really doing is saying, there are a lot of questions, sure, but the principle is really clear. Okay, second concrete thing to say. The new covenant that this Messiah brings is all about forgiveness. The way of life which marks up the new covenant is forgiveness. That's the promise in Jeremiah 31, verse 31. God says, the time is coming when I form a new covenant. It won't be like the old covenant when I remember their sins no more." So that's what the New Covenant is, and to be a part of the New Covenant is to surrender to that forgiveness, and if we keep a record of wrongs, then maybe we're not on the same page as God, because that's what he's on that. First part the thing I can say is that this, the motivating reason to forgive is to know that you yourself are forgiven. That's the drive. That's the fuel in the tank. Ah... Uh, in Luke seven, Jesus says, "Whoever has been forgiven much loves much. Uh, if you've been forgiven it will be little, you so love little." He said that to a, a prostitute, and it's a religious leader who is the target of Jesus' negative comment. I, I wonder if we, if we don't ever forgive them, maybe we don't. We don't know just how much we've been forgiven. In Joel, in Joel's prophecy, when they are confronted by their sin, God tells them the only response they can have is just to weep of the while and the mourn. That is, to realise just how, how much your debt is. But also, in the prophet Zephaniah, to take great delight in how much the Lord has done for us in taking away our punishment. But I guess we quietly go our way in Sydney assenting to certain doctrines, but not being driven by them or motivated, not y- yielding to them. In the power of a treasure, in the field, you've got to know that the treasure is good to go and sell everything you've got. So if you don't sell everything you've got, then maybe you don't believe the treasure is that good. You've got to know that forgiveness is good to surrender to it, the line to, to forgive others. And a thought proper thing to say is this. Remember, we've got to remember, just in terms of how you read the story, as a reader, Jesus has a simple story for a simple question. And the simple question is there in verse 21. And Jesus has got a simple story addressing that question. So there are big issues that we need to work through that this parable doesn't answer in every detail, of course. It's well safe in the scriptures. Okay, some difficult things. Some difficult things. Okay, I think you can say those things pretty clearly from the text. Okay, I don't believe that I'm saying anything there that I can't say from the text. These other four things I think are debatable but as I reflect on forgiveness, you know, you, you let me know what you think if you'd like to afterwards. In some senses, I'm asking harder questions than seeing how it go with them. But the first one, by the way, the first one is undebatable the first thing I'm going to say is the first difficult thing that you cannot disagree with. It's impossible for you to do that. Here's the first difficult thing. first difficult thing is this. Your situation, the situation that you're in, I don't know. Can't argue with that. I don't know your situation. I, and, I, and probably the person sitting next to you doesn't know it. And for some of you, maybe even your friends don't know it. I think a lot of people hear talk on forgiveness and they think, "Ah, oh, yeah, you know, sure, you know, the simple stuff is there." But you don't know what I'm going through. And I guess the answer to that, or the comment to say, there will be yes, yes. I, we do, we don't know what you're going through, but the testimony of Scripture is that Jesus does know what you're going through. So you bring it to him, you bring these things to God in prayer with an open Bible and you do get a chance to talk about it with believing friends who believe in forgiveness that comes from God. And it may take time but the first step is that you is that you own the, the situation that you're in and that you don't wish the person harm, that you don't want to throw the stone back. Okay, that's the difficult thing. Second difficult thing is, can you forgive somebody who doesn't ask for it? I said, really? Can you forgive somebody who doesn't ask for it? I think the answer has to be, I think, I think the answer has to be yes. But it has to be an answer that is nuanced. Or qualified, if I can put it that way. Philip Yancey, in what's so amazing about grace, quotes a rabbi. Well, quotes this. He says this, I once heard of an immigrant rabbi making an astonishing, astonishing statement. Here's what he said. Before coming to America, I had to forgive Adolf Hitler. I did not want to bring Adolf Hitler inside me to this new country. That is, he's saying, I, I can't have a... Uh, an anger or bitterness in my heart, I've got to do something almost myself in that regard. And I can certainly tell you, Adolf Hitler didn't ask for forgiveness from this rabbi. There's a book called, Forgiving Hitler. has anybody read that? Yeah, uh, worthwhile? it um, in the library now? It's in Fisher, yeah. I gave it to you fantastic. No, thank you, St. Michael's. <laughs> Go over Larky Apple's and get the. I have not read it, uh, but I want to read it. Now, here's the nuance. <laughs> Sorry, I will read it. <laughs> it got a simple read. I've got an airplane flight in one week's time, and I'll see if I can get it. I'll borrow it from Fisher and see how they deal with it. Okay. <laughs> if only I could. Here's the Here's the nuance. Forgiveness, there might be something in your heart that you're ready to do, but reconciliation might not be possible with a person who doesn't ask for forgiveness. And that's really important because forgiveness is only, I guess, the start or the first step to reconciliation, but the completion of forgiveness is always the other person asking for it, not just receiving it, but surrendering to it. I guess the key is that we should never ever... Give up making forgiveness and maybe even reconciliation one goal. That um, a co- confrontation has to happen, as it often does. It must be with forgiveness in mind and not say revenge. Okay, So do I have to do it today? I think the answer to that question has to be yes. But again, with a qualification. Because these things do take time, but the path must be entered on. Um, you must decide today that you are not going to, that you're not plotting to hand of stone back. You can do that here, even without the person. I don't know, you know what happened at St. James Kenilworth in Cape Town exactly 10 years ago this year. Some terrorists came into a regular church, um, just like perhaps the one you go to if you go to church, and uh, 11 people were killed in the gun attack. And in all the um, chaos afterwards, the media came and put a microphone under the senior pastor's mouth and said, what do you want to say to the murderers? And he's like, I just want to say that I forgive them for what they've done. And after I heard that, I thought, yeah, get, you know, what are you talking about? Now here's what's interesting. I heard him speak that same pastor about a month ago, and he said, "It's interesting. I said that night when the camera was in front of me, but it has taken us, me, and our congregation, ten years to actually work out what that comment meant that night." And the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was a part of that, under Desmond Tutu, and being able to confront the actual murderers, terrorists, that do that in that. Uh, reconciliation commission but it took time to actually work out how to do it but this in what he did that day I want you know I want you is in some sense it's good fourthly do I have to forget <laughs> I think the answer has to be uh, yes but it depends on what you mean by forget if you mean literally forget like I don't remember like someone comes to you and says do you remember what I did you ten years ago and you go oh no 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 I forget and I did my diary I go and check my diary and I can find out no, no, it's not like that. Forget- forgetting is an expression which means I'll keep no record of wrongs. I might remember it, I might have made the scars of it, but I don't keep the diary on it in order to stew over it, if I can put it that way. Um, you, know, uh, you know, you get to Jackson day and God says, said, said, well, God, I, I've done so much wrong, and he goes, What? I don't even know what you're talking about. I've forgotten it all. So I guess that's a good image of what takes place. That is, God says, I forgive you utterly, entirely, I set you free. <coughs> Last thing I do want to say is uh, there's a beauty in forgiveness. A friend of mine calls it the unbearable lightness have been forgiven and forgiving. Even if it's hard for a time. One writer said when somebody you've, that you've wronged forgives you then you are spared the dull and self-diminishing Guilty conscience, when someone forgives you. When you forgive somebody who has wronged you, then you are spared the dismal corrosion of bitterness and wounded pride. But for both parties, forgiveness means the freedom again to be at peace inside your own skin or their own skins and to be, in some sense, glad in each other's presence. It's good for the soul. Okay, let's come What might look like in the extreme? And I well, this character, though, eh? Like Chantel Dupont and my, myself. to the father of the boy was interviewed on the documentary. He said, I couldn't do it. He says, I buried myself in my garden and I just walk it out. My wife wanted to talk on the documentary and not because she saw our cameras. Um, he's very reasonable to speak he? You know, he says this sort of thing because you know, he knows about the other parents this sort of thing has to do with religion. yes, faith so it's quite insightful now when I watched that video I don't blame him at all like, you know, there's no anger in a guy <laughs> um but, in, in, one of, in contrast to the parents of the girl, they, they say they couldn't let hate with their heart till the day they died. They just couldn't do that. They couldn't do it themselves. And it took them ten years, but the conditions were right. One of the murderers didn't care. That one was genuinely repentant. I couldn't believe it. But there was no reconciliation with one of the murderers. None of all couldn't take place. But one of the mur- murderers. The conditions were right, and the timing was right. Now the couple certainly believed the murderers would stay in jail, that's the way Justice in our land. But they didn't stop from wanting to visit him. And in the video, the last moment of the video, is they enter the prison, a complex, the wife there with a husband on this side, and the person at the ward in the prison holding her hand on this side, and the three of them walked together to a room. When they get to the room, the three people, the husband and the wife, and the person who committed the crime, embrace. And their shoulders are going up and down in tears, all three of them. I guess the parents, because for obvious reasons they miss their daughter like crazy, but also because of something extraordinary that takes place when you actually forgive. The guy, because of the deep, Deep sense of shame, but also the relief that perhaps he could be forgiven. Now, I don't think they had to do that. By the way, I don't think there's any sense when you watch the video that that's what they had to do. I don't know whether that's necessarily required when I read the scriptures to actually go and visit the person in prison. But it is interesting how somebody's there saying, "I know what I have received myself, and I want to." And here's what it might look like in the experience. And when I used to see a video like that. Then I think, I wonder if I could take some steps on my own situation. And I guess that's what's inspiring about the documentary. Because what's intuitive is to hand the weight back. But what's counterintuitive, but I think right, and right for you, by the way, not only right in terms of the kingdom, is to actually learn uh, to forgive. That's us Father, we don't want to be forgiveness forgetting. <laughs> We really do want to know that we've been forgiven an enormous amount of you and we want to deeply believe that. But for some of us here, we haven't come to terms with that or surrendered to the forgiveness that you have to offer. Father, pray that you'll forgive us now. Pray that we might surrender and receive the forgiveness that you have to offer. But I pray, Father, that for all of us, that might translate into action in our lives and in our situation. Please give us people who can care for us as we um, walk down a path of forgiveness, please sustain us by your spirit and give us um, not only the gift of prayer, but also an open Bible, and not only an open Bible, but friends to help us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.